Hi, this is Jason. And this is Matt. And welcome to Wish You Were Here, a podcast for the curious traveler. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, Jason. I'm like smiling ear to ear. I'm so happy to be back. Me too. <laughs> well, we want to kick off and just kick the season off right and say we're going to do things a little bit differently this season, hopefully, fingers crossed. And one of the things we need your help with is we want to hear from you. We want to hear your travel stories. What is a place that you love? What's something about your hometown that makes it unique? What's something that you'll travel 3,000 miles out of the way to go do or to go visit? And we want to start to feature your stories. So we'll make plugs about this at the end of our episodes, but you can send us your stories on Twitter at podcast or via email, and you can find that email on our website, wishyouwerehearepodcast.com. So Jason, what the heck is up? A lot has been up. Since we last did a full episode of this, uh, a full episode of this podcast, but Matt, I have the chills, and I have the chills right now on multiple fronts. Mm, tell me, multiple fronts. Well, first of all, I've got two shots of vaccine juice coursing through my veins, hey, or coursing you, I, through my body, <laughs> like the fresh stuff. When did, uh, so when did I this got happen? yeah. So I got my second vaccine shot yesterday, <gasps> which means as we record this very podcast. I have the chills. Like I'm, I'm running a low-grade <laughs> fever. And my arm is bruised. I can barely function. And this podcast is keeping me alive. Listen, this, listeners, this is what Jason <laughs> does for his craft. This is how much he cares about you. <laughs> um, and I also have the chills because while we were away, you and I brainstormed and dreamt about season two and thought about season two and hoped that, hoped that there would be light on the horizon in this pandemic, which there now seems to be. Right. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Of course. Yeah. So it feels like, I mean, you and I already have such big ideas for where season two is going to go. We have international trips planned. We have some really fun destinations that are, you know, last year we did New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles and Chicago. And, you know, one of those destinations, maybe more than one could pop up again. But this year we have a whole new slate of cities we're going to. So it's it's so exciting. Yeah, I think you named this, but in general, for anybody who's got their finger on the pulse of travel or is just like thinking about travel themselves, there's so much optimism around it. Like everybody has been pent up for months and months and months. Um, There was a study that basically said like it it was a question of how much people are willing to spend on their first trip once they get to travel again. And people are going to spend Boku bucks. They're like, I've been inside for 14 months. I'm going to take my dream trip. I think the average for millennials is like five grand. Oh yeah, I, I mean, like to me, to me, it's I'm waiting for permission. It's it's nothing to do with like like my credit cards know where, where you know what what this year's going to look like. <laughs> they, they know are, what's up. They are they are <laughs> they are so excited for this year, right? Yeah. Like imagine if you're a credit card company right now, envisioning all the bucks people are going to spend on travel. People who can afford to, of course, uh, who have yeah. that discretionary income, they are so excited. So me, it's just waiting for like you know our governments to say okay and for you know countries to swing open the doors and for you know guidelines to change like that's just like i'm like i'm like the horse at the starting gate yeah 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 and i feel like like it's our responsibility to also make the plug that like we're not quite out of this yet so please yeah continue to be safe wear masks like the the end is in sight and we want to keep it that way (laughs) and please get vaccinated oh please yes yes yes. by by the way i don't know if you felt this way as well you got the j and j vaccine right i did yeah so and and i don't i don't i'm sure it's administered the same way but like in both instances i swear she didn't even do it i was like wait did you even i barely felt it 
you know how like when you when they draw blood, you're like, oh, this sucker's inside me, and they're yeah. like taking out some blood. This was like so fast and such a. I was like, could you do it again, maybe? Because I really don't want to get COVID. So <laughs> seriously, yeah. I was so worried. It was like almost nothing. I did like lock eyes with my person though, and I was like, this is a really special and important moment. So like, be here, be present with me. Like we had a moment. I also, though, have the chills because I am so excited, like goosebumps excited about today's episode. It's so it's so good. It's so um, good. Yeah. <laughs> so before we drop the bomb on that, though, like we've not recorded or done this in, gosh, when did we do? October was our last one. So it's yeah, been, and, it's and been it was and it was Vegas and uh-huh. Vegas has just smashed all records for us. Gosh, we're like obsessed. It's amazing. It, skyrocketed to the top it is the number one downloaded episode uh (laughs) on our podcast yeah so i feel like i've got to ask you though since october what is what has been like the unsung hero of your quarantine uh you know what this sort of dovetails into what we're gonna into our destination today but i have been nerding out hardcore on the mandalorian now i know what you're saying like that was ages ago like they're you know everyone who's into that show has already watched the first two seasons, but I always come late to everything. I rarely watch things when the public is watching them or when they're trending or whatever. But I did reach a point where I was like, I need something new. I was I didn't have Disney Plus, I should say. But someone convinced me, they're like, oh, it's so cheap to get it. It, it is. It's like seven a month is what I'm yeah. paying or something. So I thought, I am gonna, I'm going to go home and wa- go, da- go, home, uh, go start watching this. And it is like, for Star Wars fans, to me, it really is the closest thing I've seen to the original trilogy in terms of like tone, look, and feel. I mean, the 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 newest trilogy matches that, but you know, I love The Force Awakens. The other two were fine, whereas this just feels consistently enjoyable. And so that's been that's been so fun. And I'm only like four episodes into season two. I'm savoring it. I'm listening to it, like watching it. Excuse me, that slowly and rewatching. Wow. It. Good yeah. for you. I feel like the rest of the world, when we find something we like, we're like, I'm going to binge 101 episodes in two days and not remember most of it. And I love mm. that you're just taking your sweet time going through. I can't binge watch anything. I can't. I don't have the patience to sit in front of a TV for that long or in front of a screen, I should say. I don't have a TV. Uh, have you seen The Mandalorian yet? I've not seen a drop of it, but I've only heard amazing mm. things. I yeah, know. it's good. It's, it's, good. On, and, it's on the list. And for comedy nerds, Amy Sedaris is in it, which is crazy. <gasps> <laughs> Amy Sedaris in a Star Wars franchise. I, I love I, it. My jaw hit the floor. Like I had to scoop my jaw up. I was like, what is she doing here? But it, it's so great. She has a yeah. fun role. I will like for sure die on this hill. I think comedians are some of the best actors. Like if you can do comedy, mm. you can do you can do it all. Some of yeah, like I think of um, like Robin Williams is a great example. Started in stand up. He's a wild personality. When you watch some of his dramatic performances, they're incredible. We're like eight minutes into season two, episode one, and you're already like laying down the hot takes. <laughs> like they're flying fast and furious. Are there people who are going to come at me for that? Like, is that no, a I think it's thing? No, I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, like my quarantine experience has been all over the place. I have mm. really, my wife and I have been really diligent about staying at home, staying safe. We're here in San Francisco mm. and I've been very committed to that idea. So I've not gotten on a plane since, I think I said March of 2019 on our intro. I, what I meant was March of 2020. Mm-hmm, so in yeah. more than a year, I've not left the country since 2018. Um, and oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's been a minute. Um, and I guess there's not really an excuse for that one since that was like before. Uh, <laughs> Pre-COVID? Yeah. Pre-COVID, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this time at home has been really transformative for me. Um, just like, I, I feel like spending time 
at home alone has, has helped me be really introspective. I've done a lot of soul searching. Um, there's actually a, a New York Times article about how like collectively we're taking stock of who we are and what's important <laughs> to us. And it's been really transformative for me. I've grown out my curly hair and I'm embracing my curls for the first time. Some friends got me into playing Dungeons and Dragons and I'm obsessed. It's like a it's an amazing weekly hobby now, so come at me. It's been okay. like a really wonderful time. That you're just now discovering D&D makes me feel less dorky that I just discovered The Mandalorian. Like that's a huge, <laughs> that's a weight off my shoulders. And by the way, I have definitely noted the growth of your hair over the past, uh, over, or during this pandemic. Yeah, I'm an avid follower of the Curly Girl Method. It works wonders. And my... Like I've spent this pandemic also trying to grow out my hair and because I don't have any, it cannot be done because I have very little. It's not so. So I am unchanged in that regard. Yeah. Well, you have a you can grow a lush lumberjack beard and I look like a pre pubescent 12 year old. OK, well, OK, that's a draw then. Uh, I'll take it. Uh, OK, so today's episode, it's a barn burner. It's so good. It's we, a barn we, burner. We talked about it as a banger, and I'm. Let's just say today we're talking about Disneyland. Yeah, Disneyland. <laughs> and by the way, Matt, may the fourth be with you, and to everyone else who's listening is listening to our podcast right when it drops. May the fourth be with you. It's a yes. global Disney holiday now that Disney owns Star Wars, and it's like the perfect day to kick start our podcast. It absolutely is. Okay, so here is the question I want to start off with. Right. Like we're going to get now. Now we should say that, okay, you are, and I'll let you speak to this, of course, but you're, you're much more a Disney file than I am. Now I adore Disney. I love Disney as an adult. Of course I did it as a kid. I go once annually every fall. So I didn't go last year. I will go this year. I absolutely adore it. Once a year is enough for me. I, I can't, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough about the anticipation I feel every, you know, every October when I go to the parks and get to run around. Uh, but you are much more a Disney head than I am. Talk about that. Yeah. First of all, I love that you talk about it like it's a business trip. You're like, well, I go once annually in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> the happiest place on earth is like we in meet, your schedule. We meet in conference room B. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in Southern California, you know, 40-ish minutes from the park. So I I actually was racking my brain and I don't remember specifically going as a kid, but it is like embedded in my memories of early high school, going with friends. We had annual passes and would pop down. And so it is it is like very much a part of the the webbing of my friend group is that we like really fell in love with this pace. And I think as a result of that I fell in love with the Disney brand. I am like such a I'm such a believer in like the magic and the wonder of a lot of their products that I'm like, I will actively choose to let this type of joy in my life. Yeah. I also feel like something you, a common thread you and I have is that like, as much as you and I can get like, you know, passionate about politics and riled up about our beliefs, we are both kids at heart. For sure. We, That's we, so we well both said. have, yeah. we both have like kids inside us and, and, and Disney like lets that out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now wait, would you say you've been to Disneyland at least 50 times? Inside the park? I would say, yeah. Okay, 75? I don't know if I'm in the 75 to 100 range. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. But I'm but also we... like, if you ask me to guess how many beans are in a, a jar of jelly beans, I will be off by like hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to win the, uh, you know, whatever the prize is. No, no, uh, no. You're not going to win the like Schwinn bicycle or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I, here's, here's how I want to get into this. If, 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 if you'll indulge me. 
Can you recall your first Disney visit or the first one that was like that you remember that that's formative? Hmm. I'm not sure I can. Okay. No. Yeah. So that see that in itself is a great answer because I can remember that. I know that we went to and we should also tell folks that like we're going to be primarily Disneyland and California Adventure centric. However, through the course of this podcast, we will touch on, on other parks as well. And, of course, we have a special guest that we're mm-hmm. talking to later on in the episode, which is exciting. But, you know, I, li- I live in Los Angeles. You're raised here. So, you know, we, we, are, we are much more familiar with the Disneyland, uh, the Anaheim experience. But I am positive my folks took me to Disneyland as a kid when I was too young to remember it. My first memory of Disney was the Magic Kingdom in Disney World and Epcot, and I loved the Magic Kingdom, and Epcot had just opened, and it had that, we need to open our doors so we can start making money, but all the attractions are not done yet. Right. There's not a lot of things open, and uh, and it's more educational, so I just didn't connect with it as much as a kid. I was like, this is disappointing. As yeah. an adult, I love Epcot, and have been back uh, uh, since as an adult. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you, because I, I, like I said, I grew up mostly going to the park. And so it's hard for me to remember like a specific yeah, first yeah, day yeah, yeah. And, or even like specific first memories. But what was it like for you stepping into this thing that you must have heard and fantasized about as a kid? Well, so the funny thing is, right, is that when you see Disney for the first time, it's already a part of your life because you watch the films, you see Mickey Mouse on television, right? So it's just an extension of that. And now, of course, when I visited in, and this would have been the 80s at some point, a lot of the films that we now love and that, you know, folks listening to this grew up on, Little Mermaid, you know, Aladdin, were not around, Hmm. right? They were not, Pixar did not exist, (laughs) Right. right? I mean, a lot of the movie franchises were not yet incorporated into the theme park. Of course, there was, you know, Pinocchio and Snow White and all the classics. But remember, in the 80s, Disney was on a filmmaking lull. Right. right? It, it wasn't until The Little Mermaid, they came back with the one, two, three punch of Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, that it was like Disney is back as a film, as a cinematic giant. So, yeah. so I, it, it was very familiar because I knew Cinderella and Snow White and, and, and all those. And then, and, and Epcot was very barren. That's what it was like. Epcot. So the Magic Kingdom was magical and Epcot felt too new to, to feel inhabited. The way, to be honest with you, I remember my first visit to California Adventure in Anaheim going very early. I think I went in 2003, right when that park opened, mm. and feeling like, yeah, this is an unfinished product, which is how I feel about Galaxy's Edge right now. <laughs> which is right? the name of the, the Star Wars land within that's Disneyland. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really well said. Like, it, part of having a first taste of something new and exciting is like a minimal taste, too. It's not complete. It's not what it eventually will be. It's just a little bit of it. Now, I did find, so I, I want to obviously spend some time talking about the attractions, right? Like, yeah. that is what people are here for. That is what they want to know. And I did pull up an article. It was from Travel and Leisure, and they ranked every Disneyland attraction. And I'm curious to know, like, I, I want us to like this. To me, this is like our way of like, let's start chewing on the attractions, right? Like, and <laughs> okay. I want to know what you think. Like, maybe, maybe your answer to this question, either, either guess what you think their top five are or tell me what your top five are. But I, I kind of want to like nerd out for a second on ladder and on like seeing like how, like what you think about their top five. Like if you're feeling it or if you're yeah. not feeling it. Let's do this. Read me their yeah. top five and I'll tell you why it's either right or wrong. Okay. You got it. Uh, now, number five, maybe you haven't even experienced it yet. I don't know. 
is Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. It's it's a good choice. You can't put it in your top five though. It's brand new. Like how could that's such that's for clickbait. Uh, interesting. That's a hot take. Now, here's here's the little here's what they said about it. And I'm not going to read you the whole blur, but they said Rise of the Resistance remains a behemoth that's both massive in scale and achievement. Don't be surprised if you find yourself speechless after your first time on board and desperate to get right back on again. Yeah. <laughs> I like that they yeah. said it remains a behemoth as if it's been around for a long time. It literally opened like a month before Disneyland had to close down. So I like reject the premise. Yeah, that's true. All right. So see, you are dropping hot takes today. Okay. Number four, Haunted Mansion. Yes, absolutely in the top five. And my favorite part about it is that it changes with the seasons. Like Disney, one of my favorite things about Disneyland is how they update it for Halloween and then for, for Christmas and over yeah. the holidays. They're really good about spicing it up, but not every ride changes as a result. Haunted Mansion, they incorporate the Nightmare Before Christmas into yeah. it. So the ride itself changes over that time. And it's just like, it's just pure joy. It's absolutely in the top five. Okay, hot take alert. Tell me. I love Haunted Mansion. And I love Haunted Mansion when it becomes a Nightmare Before Christmas. But they do that at Halloween. That's mm-hmm. when that transformation happens. Mm-hmm. And that is a little discombobulating to me. I feel like it should happen for the holidays, meaning Christmas, but that it happens over Halloween is like, it's like the Christmas store decorating for Christmas. So right? in, your, in all- your eyes, Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie. Yes. I and, would and, and, I think and it's, the, it's the only movie that is perfectly, equally a Halloween movie and a Christmas movie. Okay, I also haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> no, I've never seen it. <laughs> How dare okay. you? Okay, are you ready for number three? Tell me. Pirates of the Caribbean. Hmm. Wait a minute. Are you debating whether it should be number three? Are you debating, are you humming whether it should be in the top five? I'm humming, firstly, your pronunciation of Caribbean. Um, oh, Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, it I'm, is true. I, I find myself like, without thinking, going back and forth between it. But you're right. I've, probably it's Pirates of the Caribbean. No, I'm mostly kidding. I'm debating whether it's in the top five. It's a really wonderful ride. And I actually I actually support and like the updates that they've made over time, like how they've incorporated Captain Jack Sparrow into the mm-hmm. ride at several places. And there was a while where they had um, Davy Jones, like, you know, sprout up on some myths. So I like how they've updated it when the franchises were coming out. It's It's a really good ride. I think I would put it in my top five. It is by far my number one. Wow. What, oh, what is it, that, what is it you gosh. love about it? Tell me. Pirates, the, Pirates makes me so happy. Now, first of all, as is annual tradition, I go to the parks once a year in fall, so I see Haunted Mansion redecorated as Night Before Christmas, as we just discussed. I always, in line, tell three pirate jokes. Have I told you these jokes before? No, I can't okay, wait. Okay, so it's a, it's a line to get into Pirates. It's a beloved attraction. And I will say that I think that line moves quickly, but it is a it is a way to get into Pirates. And in line, I always tell, and sometimes even purposely loud so that it's within earshot of the other people standing in line, I always tell three pirate jokes. Now, I'm going to tell them to you in order of what I think is least cringeworthy or, or most cringeworthy <laughs> to least cringeworthy, all right? Okay, okay. Okay, and I'll I'll give you the full pirate voice and everything. All right. What kind of socks does a pirate wear? What kind? Argyle. <laughs> oh my gosh, so good. All right, this one's even better. How much did the pirate pay for his earrings? You know how pirates wear earrings. How yeah, much yeah. did the pirate pay for his earrings, Matt? How much? 
a buccaneer. A buccaneer. <laughs> ah, so good. Give me number one. And last but not least, why is pirating so addictive? Why? Because once you get your arm cut off, you get hooked. <laughs> I guess it should be your hand, but yeah. once you get your hand cut off, you're yeah. hooked. <laughs> you, you can workshop that at the Comedy Cellar and get some feedback. Ah, I love these jokes. And so yeah. to me, that's part of the experience of building up to getting on the ride. And then here's another thing I love in general about Disney theme park rides is that you sit down in that boat. You're there for like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. This isn't like you're a roller coaster. Sun. Yeah, yeah. This isn't like a roller coaster at Six Flags where you wait two hours to get on the ride and the ride is 82 seconds long. You are taken on a journey, and yeah. I love it. And I love that it like it has this feel to it. It has this smell to it. I love that it's subterranean. Right, the boat goes through the bayou and then kind of goes underground, and it just opens up into this world. And I think it's one of those rides that captivated me as a child and that magic has continued into adulthood yeah that is very well said one of the the, my favorite parts is like the the particular smell of the chlorinated water (laughs) like you would never think about it but when i sit down on that boat i'm like absolutely oh and anytime i smell that smell like out in the the real world i'm like oh this reminds me of pirates but it's really just the smell of chlorinated water and as the boats go through the the bayou, the, the, it goes past like sort of like a shanty town. You like these sort of shacks or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you see little fireflies. Yeah, and there's I mean, that old guy playing his banjo. <laughs> ding, 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 it's ding, just ding, ding. and I love that. Uh, is it the restaurant called Blue Bayou? It is that the restaurant is right there, and so you know they're sitting there as they're sitting there having their you know. Yeah, they're eating shrimp and grits or whatever yeah. jambalaya. Exactly. As you're, I just I love that whole experience. Yeah, good pick. Yeah. Good pick. Okay. Here is the ride that Travel and Leisure believes is the second best Indiana Jones adventure. It's so good. It's it's not in my top five, but it's it's so good. And it, it to me, I always fight to be the driver, even though that wheel doesn't move. I like to pretend it's like a bit. It's a, the way that you've got your bits on Pirates of the Caribbean. I do this on Indiana Jones every time, which is pretend I'm a really, really bad driver for the 15 people behind me. And then there's a part where the part where Indiana Jones is hanging from the rope and the boulder falls and you go backwards for a little bit. Without fail, I'm going to turn around and go back it up, back it up, back it up. And then we zoom away. I love it. I live for it. I think that ride is dynamite. I, I First of all, I love that the cars are individual and it's like you're in a Jeep. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like you're in it, it's very like period, you know, period. Perfect. But the first time I was on that ride, which was in the early 2000s, I don't know how old it is, 25 years now, maybe whatever. And that boulder was coming at us. I was like, I, I don't see how we're getting out of this. Like I was I was like, this boulder's going to hit us. I thought that was <laughs> thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've not been to to Tokyo Disney, um, but at their second park. They've got a kingdom or like the version of the Crystal Skull. You remember that Indiana Jones movie? It was one of the later ones. Yeah, they've I've got, not seen it, but yeah. They've got a different Indiana Jones ride there. And one day, cannot wait to go try it. That is awesome. Have you been to Disneyland Paris? I've not been to any of the international parks. Now, wait, is it safe to say, like, correct me, I'm wrong here. I, I hope that like Disney fanatics are listening to this. And being like, oh, they're getting it all wrong. Like, you know, I hope they write us letters and emails. But there are, we have, we have. Disney, we have Disneyland and California Adventure here in Anaheim. We have Disney World in Orlando. And then, of course, there's Disney Tokyo and Disney Paris. Are there other theme parks? Is there one I'm missing? 
Yep, there are two in China, so Hong Kong and Shanghai. Oh, I think I knew. I think I was thinking when I asked you that question that you were going to say China. Okay, mm-hmm. Shanghai and Hong Kong. All right, that's interesting to know. All yeah. right, are you? Do you want to guess? Do you want to speculate what their number one ride is? No, I, was su- I want to hear it. Okay, I was surprised by this. I do love this ride. It would not be top five for me, but mm. I really enjoy this ride. Is it Space Mountain? No, it's Splash Mountain. <laughs> hmm. One of the most racist rides at Disneyland. They flagged into their <laughs> number one spot. Splash Mountain is really an incredible ride. Yeah. As it, long as it, it's hot out. Yeah. What I think is so fun about that ride is that, again, it takes you, I mean, most of the ride is in, much of the ride is inside. Mm-hmm. So, again, it just takes you through that Disney experience where it just fires up the imagination with all these scenes and dioramas and, you know, animatronics. And that's always, I love that. That's so exciting to me. And then it sort of ends with this big drop. Now it is true that song of the South is really problematic and that that's now ended, right? They are currently reconcepting it as princess and the frog. Yes. Which is perfect. It's like you, you get to keep the theme, update the animatronics and bring it to new life without having to actually change the ride much. I think it's such a smart choice. Have you seen this film? Princess and the Frog? Yeah, I love it. I have not. So it's a good one. It is a good one. Yeah, it was um, it, it was the first time that Disney went back to like old school animation in a while because they had That's been right. really doing Disney and Pixar movies with updated yeah. CGI. And so it was so fun to step back and go into old school animation. And it's the first Black Princess as well. That's exactly right. Now, the one thing that I enjoyed about the Song of the South iteration was that I don't even remember seeing that movie as a kid, but I know I did. Because when I ride Splash Mountain as an adult, it has that familiarity that brings me back to childhood, right? Mm -hmm. But it is true that, unfortunately, that movie... I mean, that that movie was actually yanked from the Disney canon, sort of taken out of uh, of circulation years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A long time ago, I think. Yeah. And Disney's been, you know, if you've been on Disney+, Plus, you've seen that they put precursors to all their movies about, like, we recognize a lot of this material is problematic. We're not taking it down because we think that there's still value to the art. Mm-hmm. So they, they're doing their best to recognize and update things as, as we learn as a world. But you can't watch Song of, Song of the South. Oh, probably not. I've not yeah, looked I, for it, but probably right. not. <laughs> I, think that one, I think that one is gone. Okay, all right. So we now know Travel and Leisure's top five, and there was some agreement, some disagreement, but let's hear about the, the attractions that you, Matt Kiever, love the most. Yeah. Well, they didn't mention any California Adventure rides. Are we sticking with just Disneyland? No, they, they, for this particular article, it was just sticking with Disneyland. But I, I think we should talk between the two parks. So you t- let's, let's, start, let's start talking California Adventure as well. If I had to pick a favorite ride between the yeah. two siblings, I think I would say... The yes, Incred- I'm, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. I think I would say The Incredicoaster. The updated version of it was oh. the Mickey. I don't even remember what it was called, but it was like Mickey's California, the big roller coaster that goes through the Mickey's face of loop to loop. Yeah, they updated it because it's in Pixar Pier. They updated it to be a Incredibles themed, and the ride, the coaster itself didn't change a lick, but all the scenery with it and concepts of the ride did. And I just think it's, I think it's the perfect roller coaster. It's perfectly balanced. It's got all the right thrills and drops. It's not too extreme. I think it's the perfect roller coaster. This is your favorite attraction between the two parks current state yes it's between that and another hot take the updated guardians of the galaxy ride which used to be 
the Tower of Terror. That's right. Yeah, and okay. it was yeah. it was like weird and devastating when they announced that they were going to do that. Everybody was like, "Why are you changing this?" I couldn't be happier with how this ride is. It's like some of the parts that I found most unsettling about Tower of yeah. Terror are now so fun. Like the way it's just rock and roll music. The theme is good. They update it with like during um, Halloween time, they update it and do a newer concept called Monsters After Dark. So you get like newer versions of the ride and different versions of the music. I think okay. it's such a good update. Okay. So I have, th- this is interesting. I think the one thing Disney doesn't do as well as I would like them to do is roller coasters. Mm. And the only one I really enjoy is Space Mountain. Now, having said that, I have not been on Incredicoaster in years, mm-hmm. m- meaning I can't even remember that. I think, I think I last wrote it many, many years ago, so I probably need to give it another spin. And I thoroughly enjoy Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and the Matterhorn, but I think the one they do right is Space Mountain, which, mm-hmm. by the way, also does thematic. They've done a Star Wars version of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they did they, one where like, they were playing Aerosmith and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, sometimes they'll update the music and just have it be a party. Yeah, and they've also done a version of Space Mountain that um, uh, that's that's Halloween. That's like screaming and you know like spooky. But I one hundred percent agree with you uh, about um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Hmm. That is, I, I mean, it, you know, for for listeners who don't know this ride, it's a big drop. That's what the ride is, right? It's like it's yeah, like it just goes up and down. Yeah, it just goes up and down on a vertical track. And it, you just feel your stomach drop over and over again. And the thing is, it's like, that's not a wonderful feeling, but it's, it's an, a weirdly funny feel. Like, have you ever noticed how many people are like smiling and laughing as it's happening? Totally. It's just, it's like, it's like weirdly joyful to be on that <laughs> ride. Even though it's like, oh my God, like my stomach is coming out of my, you yeah. know, like it's I would my not throat. say that I love that feeling. I shriek like a gargoyle <laughs> on this ride. I am just like wailing and holding on for dear life. And it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now my... What, what I do when I get to the theme parks is, and, and I usually go with the same crew every year, but sometimes I'll get there like the hour before them. And what I do is I rush right into Disney's California Adventure and I, I get a fast pass to Guardians of the Galaxy, which, which you know, for, for those listeners who don't do Disney or are listening in because they're curious about Disney, fast pass is like, it's, it's a, it's a timestamp that says you can come back in an hour, it gives you the time, and then you get to the front of the line, basically. Like, you're, mm. you're in an expedited line. So I get my fast pass, and then I go right next door to Radiator Springs Racers. It's so good. Ah, oh, so let's talk about this ride. So this is the <laughs> ride modeled after the film Cars, mm-hmm. which I only recently saw once I got my Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> and that ride, which is my favorite ride at Disney's California Adventure, and, and easily in my top five between the two parks, that ride is so fun. <clears throat> you get into a car, and it, because it's because the cars, meaning each individual car that, that passengers get into, that visitors get into, are in rows of three, they have a line for singles. Mm. So if I get there before my crew does, I just rush to that singles line and jump right on. Yeah. And this is a racing experience. You are racing on a, on a, on a, with, a, with a competitor on another track. Yeah, so that's you have, you have really no fun. control over it, but it's no. fun to see like who's no. going to win. <laughs> right, right, it, right, exactly. And yeah. it takes you through, again, again the, the, the dioramas that you see are just 
joyful and fun and it feels big and thematic. I mean, I couldn't wait to see Cars. Little did I know that many of my Disney friends were like, you're not, you may not love it. It's not, you know, most of my Disney friends said, it's not my favorite Disney film. The and movie? it was oh, no. the movie. No, no. And it was it's, not mine yeah. at all. <laughs> it's I'm John am- Lasseter's favorite Disney film and no one else's. <laughs> I'm, a- <laughs> I'm amazed it spawned two sequels, right? <laughs> right? And then Planes, like a spinoff. This is one that like, yeah. it con- t- continues to f- confuse me. And I also love, by the way, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a road trip and Route 66 devotee. They so get it I right. Did, the scenery on that ride is incredible. The scenery is just wonderful. So I do enjoy that aspect. And by the way, that ride is part of Cars Land. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also so fun because it's literally like they just they take it, they scoop it right out of the movie, like the town of Radiator Springs, and they just and at Halloween, the um the uh uh the Cozy the little, Cone Motel, they dress yeah, up. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. As they just jack-o'-lanterns. Everything. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Yeah. They do, yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. fun. All right, let's yeah. hear more of your faves. Well, most of what we've talked about so far have been like the high-octane ones. The coasters, mm. the big the big drops. Um, yeah. I, I actually love some of the attractions that are, like you said about pirates, that you just get to chill and spend some time on. So... The storybook land canal boats in Disneyland where you pass through the whale's mouth. It is yeah. straight up boring. You just you just drift on these little boats and then you pass miniatures of scenes from the different classic Disney movies. And I don't know why. I just find it so relaxing and such mm-hmm. a wonderful like use of 20 minutes. The line is never super, super long because it's mm-hmm. not in high demand. So that's one I would give a call out to. And then I guess these are like midway between the high octane rides but the two shooters between the parks so buzz lightyear's astro blasters i live for it it's so fun <laughs> and then uh toy story midway mania yeah i now i i find astro blasters to be the dated version of midway mania mm-hmm. so i like them both but Mi- midway mania is just about the most fun you can have on a ride. I mean, that ride is just fantastic. And Astro Blasters just feels like the slightly dated, you know, slightly older version of it. Sure, absolutely, yeah. But, on Astro Blasters, I don't know, well, I guess this is true of both, but sometimes I'll get through it and be like, I think I really did well. I got 100,000 points, 150,000 points. Yeah. The leaderboard is like 4 million. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah, competitive yeah. part of me, like, versus yeah. the stranger that I don't know is like horrified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we should say again, if anyone's listening and hasn't been on these rides, they're skill-based rides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're well, shooting you're actually, targets. Yeah, you're shooting targets, exactly. And so it is fun. And you're always riding with, they're in small cars, so you're with one other person, and you're essentially competing against that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fun. It's a little bit competitive. It's yeah. very interactive versus a lot of the rides are, are passive. So those those would be some of my top picks. Okay. Um, yeah, what about right. you? Anything I'm else gonna, you would add? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in some surprises of my own. Okay, I absolutely adore It's a Small World. Oh, no. say it ain't so. Ab- you really? have to make the case for it. Tell me. Okay, I absolutely adore it, and I'll tell you why. Sometimes it really does take, like, like that's not a ride I would have thought much about or, or joined a particularly long queue for, but a friend of mine made the case for it, and, I, and, and it, she sold it to me in a way. My friend Trina Chow, who you've heard me talk about this podcast before, who's a Disney head like yourself and goes many, many, many times. In fact, she's on her way down there next week. You know, the park reopens at like a quarter capacity or something, and so she wanted to check it out. But she pointed out to me that one of the, one of the Imagineers on It's a Small World, which I don't know if they were called Imagineers back in the 50s, is a woman named Mary Blair. 
And this was very uncommon back then, right? I mean, mm. it was very uncommon. But she's one of the Imagineers on it. In particular, she co-designed it. She's the one who did the color scheme for it. So these sort of like bold, contrasting colors just coming at you one after the other. And then if you look at the set design, it is so amazing. It's basically just triangles, squares, rectangles, and circles. Mm. Like carefully cut. The, the, I find the design so just like simple. I mean, you look at that ride, you're like, they could have done this for 20 bucks in 1950s. Like, like it is just, but it is, it is so perfect. I love the color scheme. I love the shapes. I absolutely adore that ride. And again, like pirates, you sit down in that boat, you've got like 15 minutes. That ride goes on forever. <laughs> and, and I find it absolutely delightful to go through each of the countries and continents. I'm like, oh, there's Sweden and there's France and there's, you sure. know, there's the USA and there's Thailand and there's... Even if, again, it's dated now by today's standards. And, and we yeah. get that. You know, I mean, I can look at it and say, okay, okay. Some of, you know, some of, the, some of the animatronics are a little cringeworthy, but I adore that ride. Here's another one I adore. It's, you know how some of the Disney rides are basically, they're just taking you on a truncated version of the film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This, yeah. is, this is one of those, but I really love it and I don't know why. And this is another one, by the way, that when I first started going on the ride, I hadn't seen the film. And the ride inspired me to see the film. And it's absolutely one of my favorite all-time Disney or, or, and or Pixar films. Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the Rescue. <laughs> Just what an enjoyable little, you know, seven minutes or whatever yeah. it is. I love the idea of you going on that ride before you've seen the movie. You must have been like, what in the hell is happening? Oh, and like, and I think every time I would get off that ride, whoever I was sitting next to, I would always say, or whoever I rode with, I would always say, what's the movie about again? And they would explain it to me. <laughs> and I would find the plot is absolutely enchanting, right? Like, yeah. it's just, it's just a, a lovely concept for a film. Like, it's, yeah. it's really wonderful. And Mon monster. By, yeah, go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. Monsters, Inc. is is a really good movie. I don't go nutty for the ride, but it's an incredible mm -hmm. movie. You're so right about the storybook rides. When you go, My favorite part is when you go back through like the classic Fantasyland rides, Alice in yeah. Wonderland, Snow White, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which is one of the originals. Yeah. They, they make no sense. Like yeah, yeah. when you go on the Snow White ride, it finishes with the wish pushing a boulder down and squishing all the dwarves. And then you come out into the sunlight. You're like, that's not what happens. <laughs> <laughs> now, do we want to, do we want to discuss those? Because some of them I like, some of them I don't. I think, I mean, I, I think it's, they're worth doing. They're classics. Yeah. They're yeah. worth doing for sure. Um, we have to move over though and talk about some things that are not attractions because I would say mm. like one of my favorite things about yeah. the park is not necessarily like, or, or not necessarily any particular attraction or doing anything particular. It's just like the joy of being there. Yeah. I think it's one of the best places in the world to just go people watch, follow your heart when it comes to food and snacks, take in the sights and sounds, walk through the scenery, appreciate it as art. Like it's one of my favorite places to just go and be. Yeah. I mean, like I feel the same way. Like I, you know, for, for when, when I encounter Disney naysayers, and they talk about, you know, it's a behemoth and it's so corporate. I'm like, I, I can't deny those things. But the attention to detail, the attention to, I mean, the, the cleanliness, like you don't see a wrap, you don't see a gum wrapper on the ground. I mean, I mean, it's, they don't sell it, gum in the park. Well, <laughs> OK, but you but know, I know what, what I you mean. mean. I know what you right, mean. Right, they, right. they are particular. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It is really just an 
an impressive experience to be at a at a Disney park. Yeah, everything is everything is curated. Um, it's also funny when people are like, I would love to live at a place like Disneyland. And I'm like, I don't think you would because it's very authoritarian. Mm, <laughs> like yeah, everything is lying. Yeah. Everything is lines and somebody's telling you what to do at all times. Like that is not, but what they mean is the magic of the park and the feeling you get when you see characters and you have all of your favorite treats around like that, I think is what they're describing. How do you feel about jungle cruise? I love Jungle Cruise. I think it's so funny. I do too. Yeah. And yeah, I know it's scripted, but one of the reasons I love it is because the cast members are doing the work mm-hmm. instead of instead of the animatronics, although there are animatronics on that right. But you you get to interact with the cast members. Yeah, absolutely. They're, yeah. they're updating it because it's definitely dated and there's some cultural yeah. interpretations that they're going to fix. <laughs> um, but I think it's a staple and it's one of the original 14 rides. So it's yeah. like it's been around forever. And it's so jokey. It's so corny. You know what? That is like perfectly your humor too. I was thinking about it now. Oh my God. Of course you love that ride. Like I wonder, like they must have acknowledged at some point that the ride had was past its prime, was a little dated. Again, some of the dioramas are, are, you know, know, culturally inappropriate now. And I wonder at what point they decided to make it like, to fill it with dad jokes. Because it is, it's filled with dad jokes. But I bet it wasn't in 1955 or you know, when when it first... Like, I bet they just decided, like, you know what? Let's just have fun with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to, like, yeah. one person probably made the bold choice to try doing that on their tour. It was well-received. They took it to Disney corporate, <laughs> and then it's been there ever since. <laughs> All right. Now, in terms of the Disney experience, whether it's an attraction, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, the food on site, whether it's, um, you know, some of the other, like, non-ride experience you can have, what are some Disney, like, ugh, like, mm, Thumbs down, Disney. Oh, thumbs down. Yeah. Well, I'm not a huge lover of It's a Small World, but you have <laughs> you have opened. I'm, I'm willing to commit to go and see it and pay more attention to the art. Um, Autopia needs to die 50 years ago. It was one of the original <laughs> rides, but there's no need for it. There are like so many other valuable things that we could put there. I've got no love yeah. for Autopia. Yeah. So I, in Fantasyland, I mean, I agree. You should go do all those. You know, anyone who goes to Disney should do all them. But I love... Uh, Peter Pan's flight hmm. because because I, just the construction of the way you're hanging and you go around London I think that's so beautiful I love Mr. Toad's wild ride I happen to think though that Pinocchio's daring journey and Snow White's enchanted wish are clunkers okay here are two I do not like two Disney experiences I do not like actually I'm, I might sneak in a third one here one is Mark Twain's riverboat yeah, it's oh, bring it, a there's book. No, there's I, no I, need. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, and once you get on, there's no escaping it. You're locked in. Oh, exactly. It's like everything, right? Exactly. I think that that's the that's one of the things I don't like about. It. Uh, I'm not so keen on Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I love. The Are tiki you? Room. I love the Tiki Room. It's corny. It's it's, it's a show. You yeah. Are, I mean, I'm here for the song and dance of it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Okay. But I love the Dole Whips. <laughs> well. Say your say your other misses because we've not talked about food at all and Dole Whip I think is the perfect kickoff. So Absol- go ahead. Absolutely. Okay. And the last one is this might be a controversial one for sure. Is ugh like this is the one that like Disney listeners are gonna like they may never listen to another episode of our podcast again though they should because we have a lot of great stuff coming up. But I'm not a fan of the parades. I, I'm just like ugh like like it's more clutter. I'm like I just want to be on the rides. Like I'm like I don't want to see all this. I don't need to wave yeah. to a Disney prince or princess. I'm like it's for the kids. Like sequester this to like one section of the park and like it just it, it everybody has you have to push past people to get to 
Ugh, I don't yeah. like that. You are going to get a lot of hate mail for that. And I'm, <laughs> no. I'm chewing on it because I hear everything you're saying. It's like they are bottlenecked into some really difficult areas of the park. They're hard to avoid and get around. Yeah. But some of the parades are just like pure joy. They, yeah. yeah. And so I think if you can open up your heart to parades, like I don't say you have to wait around for them for four hours, but they're, the, some of the performers in them are really amazing. And yeah. the themes and the art and the costumes, like they're not all bad is what I'll say. Okay, let's talk food. Yeah. You kicked us off with Dole Whip. It is, it's the crown jewel of yeah. Disney treats. And again, we, we should, you know, every now and then we should sort of let people know, like if, if they're not, if they're unfamiliar with the Disney experience, Dole Whip is basically pineapple flavored soft serve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you get it at two places now, but one is right outside of the Tiki Room. One pro tip is that that bar is double-sided, so you can get it on the side of the Tiki Room, or there's a line that everybody stands in on the far side of it. And then the other nice. one is, is um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it's a couple steps down. It's where the Aladdin show used to be, um, and they sell it now. There's basically like a whole small snack bar and restaurant that, will, um, that they sell Dole Whip, Dole Whip Floats, with flavors yeah go there go there too because they know that it's a, such a crowd favorite yeah 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 now generally speaking i'm not a huge fan of dining in inside the theme parks but you might know the better places to go can you name a place to grab food outside the disney dole whip that you're like jason next time yeah, well, let me like crack my knuckles and kick it off because I think yeah. that I think that it is a food heaven. Like Ooh. I, I, I think I go there equally for the food as much as I do for the attractions. So, in other words, I'm doing it all wrong. If you're not getting the food, absolutely, yeah. Now, are you going to tell us about stuff in Downtown Disney? Because um, that's a different animal. That probably that is does different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say like New Orleans Jazz Kitchen is my favorite part of Downtown Disney, but no, everything okay. I'm talking about is within the parks. So you really right. have to think about it like this would be my words of advice. Th- follow your heart when it comes to the food. Um, I, my best advice is plan one or two like meals, places you want to sit, take a break, have some pizza and pasta, whatever. But then beyond that, when you pass by a churro booth and you want a churro, go for it. I'm a big fan of the jumbo turkey legs and the Mexican corn on the cob that you get at the same booth. Like Those to me are fillers, but they're not sit and have the meal yeah so i i really would give the advice of like plan your breaks and you can do those around food um and you don't have to make not everything is like sit and do a reservation you mentioned blue bayou earlier which is one of the few reservation places to do that but to me it's like pizza planet is a classic go there and just get a plate full of you know carbs and a big old slice of pizza um that's that's one and then i am just like such a big fan of the food carts in general corn dog heaven some of the best corn dogs around for sure. Um, this isn't food carts, but the soup bread boil, uh, soup <laughs> soup bread bowls in New Orleans Square at okay. the Royal Street Veranda. Um, I don't know. It's a food mecca. So I'm going to pause there. Like, tell me your thoughts. Well, I probably think the carts are where Disney does best. I, mm-hmm. I, I know I've had one of those turkey legs. I am a fan of turkey legs in general. I know I've, I, I'm almost certain I've had churros there. If, if I'm a big, um, I'm a big fan of uh, jumbo pretzels as a snack. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. Disney does those, I'm sure I've had those as well. But I remember going to, in Cars Land, going to Flo's Diner mm. and just feeling like, oh, this food is crap. You know, it's like it's like fries and a burger, and it just and it's not good. I mean, it just it just feels like, you, you know, it's it's food for the masses, and yeah. it's not particularly pleasant. And and then um, 
Same thing with, uh, I remember going through the cafeteria style line that's right outside Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. I swear, you know what? If you and I were to travel to that part of the country, I would call it the Caribbean. But when I say (laughs) the name of the ride, I always want to say Pirates of the Caribbean. Everybody does, yeah. That is so weird. Why do we do that? (laughs) But I, and and I, you know, I just remember not being impressed. So Mm. I, it's so interesting to hear you call Disney a foodie mecca. Yeah. Um, well, I don't like the Flo's Diner. I don't stand by that. So I think you can <laughs> cross that off the list. I'm not standing by that one. Um, but Disney, I, I think twice, once in the spring and then once around the holidays, they do a food and wine fest in California Adventure. That's right. Where the, the main street is lined with small carts that are devoted to either a specific ingredient or a specific holiday. And they've got two or three different bites, a drink and a treat at each one that you can go through. Yeah. And I think that shows, at least to me, like that food is really good. And it shows that they're committed to this idea of like showing the world's food and doing it in the right way. Um and yeah. I know you can drink wine at Cal- Disney California Adventure. I never do because wine makes me sleepy, so it's the last thing I want to do when I'm visiting Disney. Can you also get cocktails and beer at Disney's California Adventure? Oh, yeah, baby. You can drink more than wine. So you can't drink okay. at Disneyland at all. That's right. Except for at Club 33, which, if you don't know it already, it's a private dining club in the New Orleans Square, and membership is like $15,000 a year, and it's invite only. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't plan your trip around that. Yeah. But at California Adventure, drinks are allowed, and there are a bunch of great places to drink. So some of my favorites are Carthay Circle, which is the replica of the old Hollywood theater where Snow White was was first aired. Oh, okay. Uh, for, first aired or premiered, I guess. Yeah. Um, they've got they do classic cocktails. They've got a full menu. It's a great place to go for lunch. They've got amazing biscuits as well. If you're going to go sit down and, and have a meal, the Lamplight Lounge, which I learned of it when it was called the Cove Bar, um, it's a Pixar themed bar that overlooks the water which overlooks the roller coaster it like really gives you the best view of um california adventure and some of the highlights of it they have they have a a huge list of like pixar themed cocktails Mm -hmm. but pro tip is that they've got a secret menu for like a variety of different long island iced teas so if you want to throw your life away um you can go (laughs) and they, they the you can just basically ask for them and the servers will know what you're talking about but they won't be on the menu the most instagram worthy one is called the fun wheel and it's basically like layers of rum and pineapple juice and blue curacao so it's like perfect for to impress all your friends on instagram and you won't find it on the menu so you'll look like a star okay that is like that is some insider information there that's like pro tip yeah like i'm taking that yeah i'm taking that with me next time i go seriously we went one time and we got there i think the bar opened at 11 and we were like, we're rusting down to Disney. We've got the day free. Let's just have some fun. We sat down and we had two drinks each at 11 and we hadn't eaten yet. We stumbled over, grabbed some corn dogs at the corn dog castle. And then we're like, oh, I think we need to leave. And then we left the park after that. <laughs> and it was like <laughs> one of my favorite days at Disneyland. <laughs> nice. Now, I will say I should, I should offer a caveat, which is I have had... A dynamite meal. I don't know if you call this inside the park, though. We have not also talked about accommodations, and I have stayed at the Grand Californian. Mm. I'm wondering if you have, since you've always gone as a local, since you're a kid who grew up sort of with Disney in your backyard, have you ever stayed at the Grand Californian? I've not. I've been through the Grand Californian many times. I've not stayed there, though. I've stayed at the Disneyland Hotel, and I've stayed at Paradise Pier. And thumbs up for both, or... 
they're good they're they're pricey for yeah. sure and you're paying for you're paying to be near the park and you're paying for like the disney themes yeah. um i would say price point and like how nice they are paradise pier is the lowest and most affordable tier and then mm -hmm. disneyland hotel and then the grand californian is like the most expensive and the most luxury of them and the grand californian is beautiful if you stay there you get early access to the park it's right it it like spills into uh disney's california adventure yeah. And um, and the reason I bring it up in conjunction with food is because its main restaurant, Na uh, Napa Rose, mm. is very good. <laughs> it is very I, good. I was there for a friend's birthday a couple of years ago, just before COVID. And it, we had like a fantastic meal. It was He was celebrating uh, a monumental birthday and they made a beautiful Disney birthday cake for him. I mean, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, it is. I would say that's like proper fine dining. And while we're throwing out, oh, I agree with that. And while we're throwing out um, Hotel Rex, the last time I did Disney World in Orlando, I stayed at the classic Polynesian Resort. <laughs> and, and by the way, I should tell you that even though, uh, even though I dissed the Enchanted Tiki Room, that attraction, mm -hmm. I love tiki culture and anything Polynesian. And I, I dig that stuff. So I love the Polynesian. We had a great time. Uh, it was yeah. very family oriented. And we were not, I was with a group of adult friends. So, you know, we kind of had to like stick to our little corner of it, like when we were at the pool. But yeah, I, yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. And it's a solid, affordable option. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Great rec. Um, yeah. I'll throw out a few other recs that are at the hotels for food and bev yeah um as a tiki head hopefully you've been there and love this but trader sam's enchanted tiki bar which is at the disneyland hotel i have not oh it's so good so okay. you'll you'll find it away from the steps of downtown disney and away from the park but it's a classic and proper tiki bar and you're going to go for the gimmick there's a i think it's called shipwreck on the rocks but you order this drink and they basically like put on the show the volcano erupts they like spray water around the room and you know do a song and dance it's it's really amazing i love that <laughs> i can't yeah. believe by the way that you and i have never done disney together but the reason is you go there for like an hour like because you were a pass holder up until you up until you left Los Angeles for San Francisco, you and your wife would just be like, oh, it's eight o'clock on a Tuesday. Let's go to Disney. Yeah, let's have whereas, dinner and fireworks. Right. Whereas for me, it's a once annual, like monumental event. So it doesn't surprise me that we haven't synced, but oh, the joy of going with you to Disneyland. Oh, we, I can't wait. Oh, I want that one day. <laughs> yeah. um, but keep going with the, with the Rex. Yeah. Well, I'll give, I'll give one other one. And I think this will, this will be the end of my food wrecks because I know I've thrown out a lot, but yeah. we haven't really talked about as many that are family friendly and fun. Um, and at the Grand Californian, there's a restaurant called Storytellers Cafe, and it is the, an amazing place to go for brunch. You can order some things, but it really is like a queue. And at the end of it, there's a chef who's going to make your omelet or whatever. But it's one of the places that characters will come and walk between the tables and interact with you and you know tussle your hair it's it's just really fun i definitely recommend making a reservation because it gets super busy so go make a recommendation at the storytellers cafe wait speaking of drink wrecks and tell me if tell me if i'm wrong this does serve alcohol and it also is within disneyland but what about galaxy's edge oga's cantina you know what you're right that is yeah. true so that the the new addition in Star Wars Land does serve alcohol. You, now, yeah, you got me. When I experienced Galaxy's Edge, I could not get into Oga's Cantina. We tried and tried and tried. My friend, who's like the big Disney file, tried weeks in advance. Of course, it had also just opened. Have you been able to get into Oga's Cantina? I have, yeah, a couple times. And thumbs up or down? 
it's fun. They the yeah. it is it is immersive for sure. You feel like you're in a Star Wars bar and that they nice. start playing do, 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 do. like yes. you know you're just waiting for that to pop out. Um the the food and drinks there I didn't go nuts for them. It's so busy and yeah. they're slinging them out. They're really sugary, but it's yeah. fun to it's for sure fun to do if you can go find a spot in the corner if you want to nurse a beer or whatever. It's incredibly immersive, so for sure worth doing. And by the way, I this is not part of Galaxy's Edge, but it is a Star Wars attraction. I love Star Tours. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. It's on my it's on my no no list. It makes it's me on, it. It's on my no no list. I do not feel good after riding that ride. I get like oh my it gosh. makes me nauseous. I get a little vertigo. It's sad because it's the themes of it are so fun. Have you been on the updated version? Uh, when was it updated? After the newer Star Wars movies, and so oh you know, sure, I definitely like have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell and, me what do, what do you love about it? Well, that's what's so magical about that ride is that. There are multiple different rooms you go into where you, quote unquote, board the ship, right? Yeah. And so you can go on that ride. You can repeat your visit within a single day at Disneyland and and experience several different iterations of it, right? So basically what you do is you board a ship and and you're on like a four-minute journey that takes you through all these different familiar Star Wars landscapes. Yeah. And I mean, the last time I was there, it was before... uh, It was after the second film had come out. And so it had already updated itself to include scenescapes. And I thought that was just the coolest thing. Like, it, it really is, like, that ride is so fun for me. So I'm sorry, it doesn't, it sounds like your disapproval is it doesn't sit well with you. Oh, yeah, it has very little to do with the, the ride itself. It just, yeah, it does yeah. not make me feel good. I don't yeah, enjoy being yeah. on that ride. That's too bad. Yeah. <clears throat> well, any other must hits on your Disney day or must avoids on your Disney day? Uh, you know what? Believe it or not, at the end of a long day when my dogs are barking and I think like, oh, I just can't do much more. I really enjoy a spin around the Disneyland Railroad. Hmm. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I think that's yeah. such a good recommendation. Tell us about yeah. it. Well, okay. So I really resisted it because... I'm the Disney person who gets to Disneyland. I'm like, I want to go on Pirates, and I want to go on Indiana Jones, and I want to go on Space Mountain. And my, the friend that I go with, who's the Disney file, my friend Alan, loves all the little offbeat stuff, you know, like wants to do all those things. And he talked me into going onto Mark Twain's Riverboat, which I did not like, but he <laughs> talked me onto that railroad. And I thought the railroad was just like a loop around the park, which it is. I didn't realize that there are hidden things you've seen and dioramas that you look at. I didn't realize it's also an experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so enjoyable. And you can you can legit hop on, hop off, I think, right? Even yep, though I didn't yeah. do that. It makes we did many a full stops. Loop. It makes many stops throughout the park. And all yeah. the seats face inwards to the park. So everybody is watching. You're able to like people watch as yeah. you go. And that yeah. is a pleasure in its own right. It's yeah. it's shaded and covered. You're sitting Great thing to do, but you're right. Like the dioramas are some of the most fun parts. When you totally. go through that tunnel and it's like a trip through time and you go backwards and it's all the dinosaurs attacking each other and it's so corny and like yeah, yeah, old yeah, the yeah. oldest animatronics you've ever seen. I am yeah. 100% here for it. All right, let's get your last hot take. Something you love, something you don't love, whatever it is. Um, I mean, we've covered a lot. I a don't, ton. I don't care for the Finding Nemo ride. If I wanted to be claustrophobic and feel like <laughs> I was going to get trapped underwater, I would find other means of doing that. Um, we we have not yet talked about Soren. Used to be called Soren over California, and now yeah. it's called Soren over the world. 
I love this ride. To me, it's also relaxing. You sit and you get risen into the air and you sit in front of the biggest TV screen you've ever seen. Yeah. And they play scenes from across the world. And there's little like scent capsules that spray down at you. So when you pass yeah. over the field of California oranges, you get a little spritz of citrus. I find it so relaxing. Like I want a room in my house like that so I can sit there and sleep. I absolutely agree with that. I totally enjoy Soren. That yeah. one, that one is a gem for sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> to- totally, uh, totally worthwhile wreck. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna pass it over to a real Disney expert in a second. But can I hit you with a couple fun facts before we do? I I was expecting. I, I have missed in the six months that we have not been recording. I've missed your fun facts most of all. <laughs> I mean it. Okay, I've got some about Disneyland and then some about Disney World, which we've obviously not talked much about today. Original park admission, July of 1955, was one dollar. And oh they actually sold they sold tickets for the different rides. It wasn't like you get in, you just get to go on everything. You had to get ticketed out. The and way those, you would at a carnival. Exactly. Exactly like a carnival. Yeah. And tickets for those started at 10 cents. And there were mm-hmm. 14 original attractions. Yeah. Many of them are still there today. Oh, I love it. Yeah. The parks, the Disneyland has only closed three times in history. Do you think you could guess what those three times are? I know I can guess one. Well, well, excluding COVID, if that was going to be your guess. That's not oh, included. Oh, it was. <laughs> so that that so now makes it four. They've closed three times. Yeah. Uh, the assassination of JFK. Well done. It was the day of mourning after the assassination of JFK. Okay, but right. yes, and, absolutely. Right. Um, I'm out. <laughs> I don't know Nine, the 9-11. 9-11 is oh, the second one. Oh, of course. Of course. 9-11. Yeah, yeah. Of course. And then the third one is for... Southern California locals, the Northridge earthquake of 1994. Oh, of course. Massive earthquake. Yeah, that was just before I moved to California, actually. I mean, of course, I moved to Northern California first, but absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, wow. So two two days of solidarity, one day of this park is not safe to be in. Of course, 9-11. How could could I forget that? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Uh, 2.8 million churros are sold every year. Holy crap. Half of them are to me. Um, and then my last <laughs> Disneyland fun fact is there's only one ride in the park, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. The rest are attractions. Nice. And is Mr. Toad's Wild Ride only considered a ride because by default it has it in the title? I think so, yeah. Right. I don't think there's any differentiator. Oh, absolutely right, not. Right, right. No, it's no, just, just the yeah, it, Okay, it's just It's a name. fun bit of trivia gotcha. And isn't it, not, isn't it also true that there is a basketball court unused inside the Matterhorn? There is. Do you know why that is? Yeah, because it had to do with building specifications, right? Like the city of Anaheim wouldn't allow something to be built that high unless it was like a stadium or a sport or something yep. like that. Yeah. You got it exactly right. The height restrictions, right. only, only they could only go that tall if it was a sports arena. And so they were like, we'll build a basketball court in here. What? It's a half a court. It's really ratty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That's great trivia. Um, and then two for Disney World. If you did one load of laundry a day... It would take you 52 years to get through the amount of laundry that Disney World does in one day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's crazy. I believe it. (laughs) They've got a lot of employees. And then the last one is an estimated 1.65 million sunglasses have been lost at the parks, 6,000 cell phones, (laughs) 3,500 cameras, and 18,000 hats each year. Holy cow. Yeah, that is amazing. That is me. That reminds me of the sort of, you know, back in the day, I don't know if you are even old enough to remember this. I'm sure you are. But, you know, when we were growing up, it was like McDonald's would say, like, 
over 5 billion hamburgers served. Over, and it, and it got mm-hmm. so astronomical, they just changed it to billions and billions served. And now I think they've done away with that completely. But, yeah. um, but you'd, watch that number, <laughs> you'd watch that number tick up and you'd be like, oh my gosh. But it's like, there, I, I feel like there's a common thread. Those are two sort of like iconic chains, whether you love them or hate them, that both sort of started mid-century and like just grew out of control. Yeah, and now they cater to the masses, to billions. Yeah. Yep. So let's pass it over to a Disney expert. I am sitting here with Kirsten Shergott, who is a friend, a lifelong friend of, of me and my wife, but also a Disney super fan. But her real claim to fame and credibility is that she's got 21,000 followers on Instagram. Um, and I would definitely call her a Disney influencer. And I mean that as the highest praise. Thanks so much for being here, Kirsten. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. People love Disney. And I want to know for you, where did that start? What originally drew you to the brand? I probably can't pinpoint it to one you know, specific moment in my life, but I grew up in Southern California, um, maybe 35 minutes on a good traffic day from Disneyland um, and have two very, very passionate parents uh, who I would honestly say love Disney more than I do. When I was little, we would go to the parks maybe once or twice a year. Um, and then when I was in high school, uh, my parents, uh, well, really my dad convinced my mom to get us all annual passes. Um, and then since then, it's just been, you know, something that we do, go to the parks on the weekends. Um, and it, it's just been like a part of the fabric of my life. Yeah. So you really grew up with it. I, I feel like you struck gold because an annual pass for a kid or a teenager is basically currency, <laughs> like before any of us had jobs. Yes. You can see 15% <laughs> off merch, free parking, like until, until, you know, rest in peace, uh, Disneyland annual pass holder program. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, just to, to say again, the news that not everybody may have heard, Disney recently did away with the idea of annual passes. What are your thoughts on that? It was definitely a bummer when they announced it, but I, I think it'll be, it'll be good for them to rethink the program. Um, Cause they have said that it's not. It's not sunset forever. They're going to replace it with something more flexible, better uh, crowd management, something that will give us more options. Um, So I'm optimistic that something will come along the lines soon and replace it. And we won't have to worry about just buying tickets day to day. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I think that was well said. Like the parks straight up were super, super crowded by the time they sunset this. And, you know, we obviously got a break when COVID happened, but I, I think I'm with you. I, I support the change and I'm excited to see whatever it is that they roll out. Yeah. I've, you know, been perusing the rumor mill and they're talking about potential passes where there's tears. You can only go at night. You have to make reservations in advance so they can like really ensure optimal crowd levels. Um, I think yeah. it'll be an adjustment, um, but ultimately, I'm sure they'll come out with something that's better than what they had because it was really, really expensive, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I forget that Disney is a business. Of course, they are. So they'll make the decision that benefits that. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the parks. So of the six, there are six, right? Like main hubs. Let's see if we can get them. There's Disneyland, Anaheim, the OG, mm-hmm. uh, Tokyo. Yes. Well, no, Par- right. it, Tokyo is the best. It's, it's the OG. I will argue that it's also the best. Um, Tokyo, Paris, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and then the Alpha, Disney World. Right? Did we miss mm-hmm. any? Nope, I think that's it. <laughs> okay, we passed the first test. How many of them have you been to? 
I have been to Disneyland, obviously, Disney World, Disneyland Paris, and then the two parks in Tokyo. So Disney Sea and then Tokyo Disneyland. Okay. When you went to your first international park, what was something that surprised you about those parks? <laughs> well, my first international park was Disneyland Paris. Mark and I, my husband, um, we went to Disneyland Paris for two days. What struck me was just like the vibe was so different. Um, and I don't know if you've watched, like there was a Disney Plus uh, documentary Imagineers, I can't remember if that was the exact name, but they talked about Disneyland Paris in one of the episodes and how, you know, Disney is perceived very differently in Europe, but in like France specifically. And the I can't even explain it, the vibe there, like people were smoking and drinking and just like so like blase, like, yeah, whatever, I'm in Disneyland, I don't care. <laughs> it was just so wild. Um, and then... Another weird thing is that the the rides themselves, they're very different in the international parks. And I feel like they sort of reflect the um, like local tastes. So mm. in Disneyland Paris, the rides were very extreme. Like the Space Mountain has a loop-de-loop. Like it feels very much like a, almost like a Six Flags in like that type of like ride extremity I don't even know what the word is um yeah 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 and then conversely in Tokyo all the rides are just like so smooth even the roller coasters feel like like what is it Thunder Mountain Space Mountain it just feels like you're like gliding like everything is just so pleasant and serene and it was just like a, a weird one of the weird things that I definitely like rocked on when I went to the international parks yeah, I love that. I've, I've never been to an international park, but I thought that the, the Disneyland's were almost exact replicas, basically, but the rides are different and they match the places where they live. I love that. Yeah, it is wild. Um, I will say that the Thunder Mountain in Paris is the best Thunder Mountain that is in existence. It's so much fun. It feels a lot bigger. It's like partly on an island. It's like going underneath water. It's a good time. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> if you had to guess, like ballpark, how many times would you say you've been to the parks, all of them collectively? I feel like hundreds of times. <laughs> I think the fact that you're in the hundreds is impressive. Enough. <laughs> so so what what is it that keeps you coming back? They have so many like great restaurants um, at Disneyland. Weirdly, it's very much a um, foodie heaven in a way. And I can't even put my finger on when it became such a like mecca for great dining. Um, that's been one of the reasons that every weekend before they close, like, let's go, let's go get dinner. Let's people mm. watch. Um, the rides are fun, but it's, it's really just about like the ambiance of Disney and going there and sort of feeling that nostalgia kick in, hearing the music on Main Street, getting the whiff of like the Candy Palace as you're walking down to the hub. There's just so many little things that together create this magical experience that you just keep going back for. Because you're so right that people who only have the opportunity to go once or twice, they miss that aspect about like some of the joy of being at the park is just straight up being at the park. It's not necessarily doing anything in particular. 
but obviously there are like dozens and dozens of amazing rides and attractions and food. So I have to ask you, like, what is one attraction that always brings a smile to your face? Okay, maybe I'll do one for Disneyland and one for DCA because I feel like Perfect. I don't want to pit the siblings against each other. <laughs> um, okay, starting with DCA, I crapped on this ride so much when it was in development. I need to like eat my words now because the Guardians of the Galaxy like mission breakout is like my chef's kiss of a ride in that park. It's just so much fun. It's so upbeat and uplifting and it's like hard to believe that they took the Tower of Terror, which iconic, beautiful themes to the land and they turned it into that like ugly space jail, whatever it is. <laughs> and like, I remember when they were building it, how much like angst there was in the Disney community around what they were doing. But then we know that they have the best intentions of the guests in mind. And like, when you ride this, you know, like, okay, yes, they knew what they were doing. It's just so much fun. And then for Disneyland, I'm going to cheat and say it's a three-way tie between Space Mountain Indiana Jones and then Splash Mountain because they're all so fun. They all sort of satisfy a different mood, um, but I couldn't pick between those three. Yeah, it's I mean, it's an impossible choice and there are no wrong answers. And I think you picked well. <laughs> what is what is something that everyone else seems to love that just like straight up does not do it for you? Well, I've never been a fan of a turkey leg. Ooh, that is a hot take. <laughs> it's just a lot. Just it's just a lot there. Mm -hmm. And I I've actually heard rumors that they're not actually turkey legs, that they're like quails or Don't tell me that. I've heard someone tell me that, that it's an ostrich leg, which was like, come <laughs> on, that's ridiculous. That they're seems way more expensive. Legs. Yeah, there's yeah, that no seems way. way more expensive. No way. <laughs> so maybe what's an attraction then that that doesn't do it for you? Like Peter Pan is a cute ride but I feel like there's such a fan base behind it. And whenever you walk through Fantasyland, 70 minute wait easily. And I'm just like, it's just a slow moving dark ride. Like it's not that exciting. The queue is in the sun, it's hot. There's a lot of, you know, usually screaming children in very close proximity to you. I'm actually really interested in seeing how they like socially distance that queue just because there's so many switchbacks. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, that's such a pro tip is to think about the cues. Nobody really thinks about the waiting experience. Like I'm fine waiting in the standby line for Indiana Jones. It's it's a vibe, but yeah, and it's not it. Um, is, is there like an expired or no longer there attraction that you wish they would bring back? I've always wondered why we don't have like a people mover equivalent at Disneyland. Or I don't know if you remember the rocket rods ride that they had for oh, like yeah. a, literally a hot second <laughs> in Tomorrowland, which I think was on the old people mover track. And I think I waited three hours for that. I think I did too. And I remember the queue <laughs> being really cool. And you walked through, there was a room where it was just all TVs, like floor to ceiling. Yeah. And I, and I don't even really remember the ride, but I remember that room. This is something that is true of a lot of people I know, but what would you say to somebody who visited the parks as a kid but sees no reason to go back as an adult? Disney is timeless. It's ageless. It it doesn't cater to 
like one demographic over another, like it's not just for children. And when you go back to the parks as an adult, you can you can just enjoy a different facet of it. It's almost like when you watch a Pixar film as a kid and like all of the tongue in cheek jokes just completely go over your head and you're like, oh, look, it's just a little robot like dancing in space. But as an adult, you watch it and you're like, wow, this is an allegory for capitalism and the destruction of the human race and just all of this. It's not quite that deep with the parks, but there is that level of enjoying something you didn't notice before when you're there as an adult um, and just sort of being able to appreciate some of the things as a kid you maybe overlooked. Um, I mean, food and drink is an obvious one, but just, I don't know, being able to appreciate the like magic makers of Disney as an adult and like all that is put into the parks um, to really make sure every guest has the best time possible. Like there's just, as an adult, you can, you can appreciate a lot more than you would as a kid. Yeah. Like as adults, we trick ourselves into this idea that like magic and wonder and joy and creativity are not for us. Like those are things that belong to kids. Yeah. And I think that hardcore Disney fans are some of the people who have realized first that that's just not true. Exactly. Like you, just because you're, over the age of 25 um, and you don't have children doesn't mean that you can't get joy out of these parks and out of these experiences. And I think the like assumption that you shouldn't be able to is, is silly. Well, the parks are opening on April 30th. And by the time this comes out, they'll be open. Have you already gotten your tickets? I have. I will be there on May 2nd. <laughs> two days before oh, so you- opening. Yes. Okay. You got in early. And I think that's uh, one of the things that will be tough now that the annual pass has been retired. It's a, it's a full on production to be able to go to the parks and like, I get it. It totally makes sense. Like they have to cap um, capacity and, they need to be able to, you know, ensure that at least for right now, the parks are only open to California residents. So you need to be able to show um, proof of residency and ID at the gate. Um, it's just, it's a lot of added stress and I'm looking forward to the future. And hopefully it's like a nearish future where it can just be, you know, on a whim, I wanna go to Disneyland for the night and get dinner at Naparo's. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. So even though you're close, if you could snap your fingers right this second and be at any park to have any food, attraction, experience, what would it be? Tokyo Disney Sea in a heartbeat. I would ride um, Journey to the Center of the Earth, which is the best ride in all of Tokyo. Maybe the best ride of any Disney park. I don't know, it's fighting words, but I feel like it's up there. It's in the top five for sure. Um, And then I would eat a potato churro. Oh, wait, what's a potato churro? Okay, so Tokyo is, they're just, their food scene is next level. And specifically their snack scene is next level. They have a, a wide variety of churro types. My favorite is the potato churro, which basically just tastes like, like a huge French fry. <laughs> in like churro form and it's it's amazing they sell them 
like right next to the journey to the center of the earth ride. And it's just, it's so good. Houston, this was so much fun. Thank you so yes. much for being here. Where can listeners find out more about you? So I do have a Disney Instagram at where is Kirsty. Pre-pandemic posted a lot of uh, park going shenanigans. I also have a blog, which is just whereiskirstie.com. Older historical tips and tricks on the Disney parks uh, archive there. So if anyone wants to take a take a look, I have a bunch of uh, blog posts and photos and tips and tricks and all that good stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was very fun. I am up this episode for what happened here. And today we're going to talk about an old amusement park within Disney called Disney's River Country. So let, let's take it back three years. It's 2018, right? The reboot of Queer Eyes premiering. Beyonce's headlining Coachella and is the first black woman to do so. NASA is launching a solar probe to investigate the sun because we can do that now. Brett Kavanaugh just said that he likes beer and is credibly accused of sexually assaulting women, yet is still somehow voted into the United States Supreme Court. And the Disney Corporation is announcing the construction of a new water-themed resort at Disney World, which is to replace one of its oldest and most beloved parks called River Country. But here's the thing. River Country has been closed and abandoned for 17 years. So we're going to go back a little bit further. July 1955, Disneyland opens in Anaheim, and it immediately becomes one of the biggest, most innovative theme parks that existed at the time. And Walt's vision, and this I think we've talked about this a ton, we've seen it in the parks, but Walt's vision was to create a place where both kids and adults can go and have fun. And I feel like that's true of the parks. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest with you, I have no idea if the kids are having fun, but I know as an adult, I'm having the time of my life. It's true. Right. I'll I'll fight anybody. Disney's for adults. Um, So over the next decade, the parks... You know, the popularity ballooned, it it kept growing and growing and growing, but there were some limitations. Over those couple of years after the park opened, Disney discovered that less or fewer than 5% of the attendees coming to the park were coming from east of the Mississippi, meaning it was mostly for people west of that, on the western side of the United States. But 75% of the population lived over on the east side, so they were missing a big market. So they decided to like look for and try to build another park which eventually became Disney World. What are some of your guesses for where else they thought to put the park before they landed on Orlando? Sure. Duluth, Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Close, but no. Okay. um, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which, by the way, not such a crazy guess. That's the home to to Dollywood. Yeah. I was going to say, isn't there already an amusement (laughs) park there? (laughs) But good guesses. So their first consideration was New Jersey. Somewhere in New Jersey. Okay, I mean, close to New York City, close to uh, D.C., Boston, a lot of population centers, Philly. I get it. Yep, yep, yep. But they decided against it because it was it has like a short season. Of course, the weather yeah. isn't always good, and so they couldn't stay open all year long. Um, and then the next serious consideration was for St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, you know what? I lived in St. Louis briefly as a kid, and having having grown up mostly in Chicago, Chicago and Chicagoland area, I know St. Louis well. St. Louis would sure be a different city if that's where Disney had put Disney World. I, I mean, I mean it. It would be like a city transformed. That's so interesting yeah. to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they were really serious about it. And even though it's it's like technically right along the Mississippi, it's not east of it. Yeah, um, it is much more central and much more accessible than sure. Southern California. Um, but there's there's kind of a myth about like why that one fell through. So the story goes: Do you know Do you know Anheuser Busch, the company? Yeah, they're they're St. Louis based, are they not? Yeah, they, they make Budweiser in the same space, exactly. 
Um, so the story goes that when Walt was in St. Louis meeting with businessmen and politicians, August Bush, one of the, the family of founders of Anheuser-Busch, he basically like got up and roasted Walt in front of everybody for not allowing alcohol in his parks, which obviously is like huge for Anheuser-Busch. And so the legend is that Walt was like totally offended by that and the whole deal fell through because of it. Wow, that is crazy. Now, you know, what's interesting yeah. about St. Louis is you wouldn't have a year-round season there either. It would be maybe seven or eight months, but, you know. That's interesting. I, mean, it, I didn't think about that. It snows there in winter. I mean, not like New Jersey, but it's only about yeah. five hours south of Chicago, so it's better, but it's not. But anyway, so they, I, think, yeah. I, think, I think Walt is probably happy with his decision to go to Orlando. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine a world in which I couldn't go to Disneyland at all times of the year. I mean, assuming it's open and this is the before times, but like yeah. th- considering the weather of a place, that's really interesting. Um, but whatever happened, Disney built on that idea and they set their eyes somewhere sunnier and they eventually picked what we know, know is Orlando, Florida. It ended up being the perfect place for a couple reasons. It has amazingly sunny weather that was set away from the ocean. I guess that was important because like the sea salt air might corrode the rides or something. Huh. Um, there was a really robust freeway system so people could come in and out and get there. And there were acres and acres and acres of open land for purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whatever your feelings are about Walt Disney, he made it, he ended up making a smart purchase and being really thoughtful about Disney World because when Disneyland opened, it was like it was on an orange grove, right? There was nothing else around it. And now crowds of motels and other restaurants and traffic and yada, yada. So with Disney World, he was like, I don't want to build a park. I want to build a community. Mm-hmm. And so he needed some space. So they bought it because of land. You know what? Do you know what? Yeah. May I just say, though, props to Disneyland and Disneyland's California Adventure in that when you're driving on the five, you're like, there's not a theme park around here. If, if it wasn't mm-hmm. for the fact that you can, you know, see the top of the Matterhorn and if you look even carefully, some of the other stuff, you, you know, it is like it is very carefully tucked away right like right in the middle of like suburban sprawl. Exactly. Until you see the fireworks prop yeah, up yeah. Every, each and every night. You know, they pay like hundreds of thousands of fees because it, they, they, they violate noise ordinances <laughs> yeah, 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 in Orange yeah. County every single night. And Disney's like, we'll just pay that. Yeah, But you were saying. <laughs> so they purchased all of this land, but they, they had to do it in secret because of land speculation. Like they didn't want the prices of land to skyrocket when it was announced that Disney was coming to the area. So they bought it. They did some really shady biz. Like they hired ex-military personnel. They set up all these shell companies. They did all this shady biz and they bought all this land in Orlando and nobody could figure out who it was until 1965 when they announced it. They bought 27,000 acres at $200 an acre. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's crazy. (laughs) It like it, I had to like sit down when I read that number. It was so offensive. Um, so in 71, the Magic Kingdom opened in Orlando. It was a massive success. And they've continued to expand the park, which now has four theme parks, two water parks, and like a buttload of other attractions. It's basically a medium-sized city. Like they employ 70,000 people, which is more than all of the rest of the Disney parks combined. That is bananas. Yeah, it's massive. So five years after Disney World opens, Disney opens its first ever water park. It's called River Country, and that was in 1976. And it's not only Disney's first water park, it's like the first major addition to the park since its big opening. Its vibe was a rustic, old-fashioned swimming hole. Like, they, they kind of modeled it after Tom Sawyer's swimming hole that was described in the book. Uh-huh. 
Um, and so you can pick, close your eyes and picture that in your head. Listen to this tagline that they wrote for River Country. I'm sorry, Matt. Say again. What year was this? Oh, 1976. Okay. 1976. Okay. Yeah. So five years after Disney World opened. Listen to this tagline for River Country. River Country is the Kersplashinous, Kid Laughinous, Slippery Slidinous, Raff Radinous, Rope Swinginous, Swan Divinous, Summer Swinginist, Sun Snoozinist, Picnicinist, Old Fashioned, Good, Clean, Wet American Fun You've Ever Had. Good, Clean, Wet American Fun. That's the only, those are the only words I understood in that whole sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what they wanted you to feel. Yeah. yeah. There were water slides, an inner tube, river, a sand bottom lake, a play area that had tire swings and bridges. It's really interesting to think about because now when we think of water parks, like all that stuff is standard. But at the time, they were one of the first ones to do it, um, like to have realistic looking boulders and river rapids and spin and slides. And they were one of the first people to do it. And my favorite part is that they had a they had a water slide that went through some rocks or whatever, and it boasted a seven foot drop. (laughs) (laughs) Seven feet. Now water parks are like, we're going to toss you off this building. You'll shoot like straight down into a pool the size of a nickel. I'm almost seven feet. I mean, that's like, what would that be (laughs) for me? (laughs) (laughs) It's a step down. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it was like a huge claim, seven foot drop into a pool. (laughs) The, The park was like incredibly successful. It helped pioneer water park innovation for a lot of future parks and it really was a staple of disney world um, as that community continued to expand over the next two decades so the question is why did it close to this day disney has never announced its official reason for closing but there are a couple different theories so the first one is safety there are a, a number of different factors here and this was a water park right like there's a ton of pools and strong currents. I think there's some inherent risk when you go to any theme park or or any kind of water park. And they had signs around the park that warned, like, this area is for strong swimmers, like, use your best judgment. But of course, no kid is going to abide by that. They just go and run and do their own thing. And you have, like, one lifeguard for, you know, 300 people. What's that poor person supposed to do? (laughs) So it's not unexpected that there were some tragic accidents Mm -hmm. as a result of that. Several kids did drown over the years. Some of them made some small headlines, but it was like known that it was, you know, there, there was risk involved. Um, and then the second piece about safety is that River Country was built on the shores of Bay Lake in Florida. And Disney still owns that land. I, I don't know if they actually own the lake, but it's on the north side of the park. And it's baked onto a real lake. And it was a natural, normal lake with real wildlife. And there was a story about a little boy who was you know, looking at ducks or whatever and got straight up attacked by an alligator. If that's not the most Florida thing you've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. So like, I don't expect when I go to Disney, I expect to be delighted by animatronic gators. I don't expect to have to (laughs) fight them off, fight real gators off of my children. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So safety was a big concern. Um, The next one is just this idea of like competition. So while River Country was one of the first and the most innovative parks, like as the years went by, it just was not the best anymore. So many other parks did it bigger and better. Um, the guy who opened SeaWorld opened a park nearby it called Wet and Wild, which is a disgusting name for a water park. <laughs> Um, it didn't have any of Disney's like theme of an old-fashioned swimming hole, but it was basically like the high-octane version yeah. of of a water park you know you throw you off a cliff you're gonna spin in loop-de-loops whatever um and so that started a trend of all the nearby parks adding water park additions universal sea world orlando 
Disney in that time, like they've made two other water parks that are still in operation, Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard Beach. That's right. They're both operational in Florida. And all of these parks are bigger, more profitable, and more updated than River Country. So some of it was just competition. Um, and while they were trying to basically price out, like, should we keep this park open? 9-11 happened. And 9-11 actually impro- proved to be a really important catalyst because you will probably remember the impact that 9-11 had on travel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, every, everything yeah. came to a standstill almost immediately. I mean, immediately. Immediately, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like the world shut down, but travel in particular took a while to recover. Yeah. Um, I think like airline, I think I read a stat that airline travel dropped 30% yeah. or something, yeah. maybe more in the wake of the attacks. Yeah. And so, of course, park attendance went down. Disney used that to like close their park for a hot second, like we said, and then revisit which parks were profitable. Their whole thing was like, we're going to renovate river country and then bring it back. They ended up just keeping it closed, but they didn't publicly announce that for like five years or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think just like they got outpriced and maybe not outpriced, but out like it just didn't stay competitive and interesting um, as interesting as some of these other parks, the wildest, it's not really a theory, but the wildest story that I like to think contributed to this was the tale of like the deadly amoeba that lived in Disney's waters. What? So one of the most, pu- yeah, listen, one of the most public incidents in Disney history was the unfortunate death of this 11 year old boy who he allegedly contracted this deadly amoeba after visiting river country. Um, and the amoeba caused what were called like meningitis, like symptoms. Mm-hmm. And the internet describes it as invariably fatal. Yeah. Meningitis so is very serious. Super serious, yeah. The survival rate is, I think it's like less than 5%. Um, and so I'm going to read you an excerpt from an Associated Press article that came out in like 1980 when all this happened. So from Orlando, a rare but deadly disease caused by an amoeba found in Florida freshwater lakes has claimed its fourth victim, a New York youngster who spent his vacation swimming at Walt Disney World's River Country. The disease, oh gosh, let's see if I can pronounce this, amoebic meningencephalitis. Attacks the nervous system and the brain, doctors say. It killed two Florida children earlier this month and appears to have been the cause of another youngster, a state official said. The latest death was of an 11-year-old boy who visited the Orlando area during the first week of August and swam in the water. The child died of the amoeba, entered his nose, and went to his nasal passage. Investigators from the U.S. CDC in Atlanta and the New York Health Department pinpointed River Country as the source of the amoeba after the New York child's parents reported that the amusement park was the only place where he went swimming mm-hmm, recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as you can imagine, Disney denied all responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They basically said, like, these amoebas can grow anywhere, that there's water and, and heat. Um, but it, like, definitely spooked people. Yeah. And it was cited by many when the park ended up closing all these years later. Mm. Yeah. So the park, for whatever reason, all these ideas are flown out there. River Country closed its doors November 2001. And this is where it gets kind of funky. So after that, the park sat completely abandoned. Like Disney chained up the area, but it doesn't seem that they were all that interested or invested in keeping people out. So it became a total hotspot for urban explorers Mm -hmm. who were trying to sneak in, try their luck getting into the park. And a couple of people were successful. Um, I'll give credit to a lot of the stories from uh, Theme Park Tourist. And he's got a photo series of snapshots from the park at the time. And it's like... Gosh, I'm trying to think of how to describe it, but it's it's like such a perfect 
example of how quickly nature will take over when we don't do anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Disney didn't try to clean up this park at all. They didn't try to crash it down and, and clean up the area. They just basically abandoned it. So it looks like it looks like a ghost town that was just like like all the people vanished overnight. And so the there are like the sand beds are now covered up with with trees and all the rides have like muck and rust and overgrowth hanging over them. Um, and so when people snuck in to take pictures, they found this ghost town, basically. The slides in the rapids, totally covered. Everything looked like a mess. Um, and it's really creepy, like an old haunted movie. You just see chipped paint that says, like, strong swimmers only, please. You know, yeah. horrible recommendation. <laughs> um, and to me, the most fascinating part is how the scene really juxtaposes the rest of Disney. We talked earlier about how everything in Disney is perfectly curated, right? Um like the brand itself, all the parks are perfectly curated. Everything's thoughtful and polished. And here are these remnants of like this old abandoned water park that seems like just this haunted village in the middle of Disney perfection. It's it's like a full-ass park that was left to run. It's rot. sloppy Disney. Like who would have <laughs> thought, right? It's like it's like it's as if I were like a neat freak and you always came over to my apartment and you were like, or my home and you were like, oh my gosh, everything's like perfectly placed and he's dusted every last speck. But then there's that closet that you open that is like filled with junk and you're like, aha, that's what this feels like. <laughs> exactly. We found the skeletons yeah, in this closet yeah. and it's, it's an old water park that's less fun jamboree and more like the next film location for the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. <laughs> So the park sat this way and honestly actually may still be sitting this way until 2018 when they announced that they're going to rehab it, demolish it, and build a nature-themed lodge called Reflections, a Disney lodge. Okay. And it's going to have like Bambi-themed rooms, Pocahontas stuff, a Princess and the Frog restaurant that overlooks the the lake. Um, all the construction on it got paused because of COVID, but afterwards you can expect some beautiful 900-room hotel to be you know, built on top of it. So I will say, while I was disappointed to find a lack of like actual ghosts and haunting stories, seeing the pictures and researching this like totally, totally gave me the creeps. I definitely go look at the pictures. It's a perfect before and after of like what nature will do over time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are. It's funny you saying that reminded me of other places. I think there's one outside New Orleans that closed down, like a Six Flags or something. Maybe it's not a Six Flags brand. There's one in I think outside Berlin, like theme parks. And you're right when you look at pictures of these, and because theme parks are the opposite of nature, right? It's like, it's like steel and metal and like, you know, like uh, cartoonish faces and creatures and monsters, like the, like nature coming back and overtaking that. It's, it's a, it's a fascinating and frightening and strange juxtaposition. And, and those pictures are captivating to look at. Yeah. Everything is man-made. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to be in an amusement park when there aren't people and music and treats like yeah. that sounds terrifying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the, the ending is that it's going to be this resort now that COVID is that, which is that what we're led to believe now that COVID is sort of maybe more behind us and we're moving forward with construction again, that Disney is going to transform this river country into this, uh, this nature themed resort. Yeah. It's going to be a distant memory. So like yeah. go see the pics. Yeah. Before that, before Disney wises up and erases them from the internet. Oh my gosh, Matt, that was a terrific <laughs> yarn. Well done. Well done. <laughs> I'll give a I'll give a big thank you to Theme Park Tourists. It's a blog. We'll we'll put a link on it on our site. Um, many people have written about this story, but I thought they did a particularly good job, and they've got a photo series that you can look at. And we always close out with a game. One last little bit. 
And we're going back to the well. We're going back to what we started this show with a year ago, and that is we're doing hearsay. And this is where yeah. we dig up Yelp reviews related to the destination, in this case, Disney, and talk about some of the things folks have said over the years. Yeah, so what you got? All right, well, I looked up a handful of rides. So you know I adore It's a Small World. And this, is, this, is a, um, this was the most... Well put. This uh, this critique of It's a Small World came up again and again by the naysayers. And this was the one that I thought was most succinctly put. And uh, Brian from Scottsdale, Arizona says, I feel like the kids are creepy. It seems like they will eat you or something. Just saying. And that and that seemed to be <laughs> they are that seemed to be a reoccurring theme. Uh, yeah, the enchanted tiki room, the the attraction. I'm not such a fan of the uh, the Polynesian themed one. Robin from Honolulu said, I'm Polynesian. This place is racist as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And and look, it is true that Disney suffers from some, you know, some, some. They pull, they pull like stereotypes and caricatures all the time for sure. I'm also Hawaiian and Polynesian. Yeah, that's right. I don't take take full offense to it, but I'm not, you know, we're not a monolith. Uh, And then uh, there were uh, a few, a handful of critiques of, uh, of Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, what's so funny is. I kept coming across the same reviewer attraction after attraction after attraction. I ended up looking this guy up on Yelp. So his name is Michelangelo or Michelangelo B from Rancho Santa Margarita, California. He has 55 pages of reviews on Yelp. So He's a professional Yelp. He is. So he said to Pirates of the Caribbean, for me, this comes a very close second to Haunted Mansion as the best ride at Disneyland yet. For the second time now, the ride is being revamped because some vestal virgin Amish woman from Kansas was offended by pirates being pirates. And to be honest with you, <laughs> now I know that this is a ride that they've changed over the years. So fundamentally, they added Captain Jack Sparrow. So that was uh-huh. an addition that Disney fans have debated over the years. It doesn't bother me at all. And then, of course, some of the content of the pirates behaving misogynistically toward women they have removed. Yeah. And some folks... They had they had a section of it that was like buy a wench, and it was people selling off women. That's right, that's and right. And so they updated that to that same woman selling off like chickens and, and groceries and stuff. That's right. And now <laughs> and now we have another complaint uh, from a, from someone who uh, who's not such a fan of that. And she, she had to say, this is a Chris from Pomona. She said, essentially, we're recreating a new ride in which it's totally okay to loot, pillage, burn, steal, invade, capture, dunk men into a well, destroy property, and, and by implication even murder, but kidnapping the female down- townspeople, aghast. Uh, <laughs> we've gone too far. That is, we're not, that, that, is we're really not that kind of pirate. We be eco-friendly woke pirates with a sense of <laughs> social justice about us, we be. Okay, hold on. And then uh, one more, and I'm going to kick it over to you. This is also from Pirates. And uh, I I thought this was really funny. Uh, uh, TRS from Pasadena says, that wonderful musty smell is gone. The one thing I looked forward to every time I went to Disneyland 20 plus times over my lifespan, every time I smelled it, I was four years old again with Nana and Papa holding my hand. Smells like a stupid jacuzzi now. I am bummed beyond belief. And I'm bringing that one up because you talked about how – uh, you love the smell of Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. I do. I love that description as a stupid jacuzzi. Yeah, so do you have a few as well? <laughs> I do. I pulled two that were juicy. Um, one of them was for Matterhorn, a coaster you said you love. Even if you love the Matterhorn, you have to admit that it is a bumpy, uncomfortable coaster compared to a lot of the other ones. It's not particularly pleasant. Yeah, that's right. And it's not one of the ones I said was my favorite. Space Mountain, I said, was the only yeah. one that really got it right. But I like Matterhorn. Yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah. And it's bumpy. Um, 
Yeah, you used to have to, the carts used to be designed where you have to like sit in the laps of randos or where you sit in each other's <laughs> yes, laps. At yeah. least they don't have that anymore. Yeah. So let's give us some credit. Kevin F says, very long lines for loose teeth and a trip to the Cairo. <laughs> Brad B says, it felt like Rocky Balboa, Balboa was punching me in the back repeatedly like a side of beef. Oh my gosh. And Ricky S says, have you ever been beaten with a baseball bat? No? Do you want to know what it feels like? If so, this ride's for you. <laughs> And then I'll finish with Jungle Cruise because it's got to have my favorite, my favorite one-star review of all time. But this ride is a classic. It's part of classic history. And we talked earlier about the whole thing is that their dad jokes are supposed to be corny. The tour guides are deadpan. The point is to make you groan at their puns, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Andrea G says, she spoke in a monotone voice and went through her scripted lines. She showed no enthusiasm whatsoever. I don't even think she smiled. We used to love Jungle Cruise, but this performance ruined it. And my favorite review of all time, Job H says, too much fun. One star. <laughs> oh, Job. <laughs> um, okay, that is it for us. Thank you for joining us on our first episode of season two. We hope you'll keep coming back. We have so much more fun stuff in store this season, especially since we are now out of COVID. So we are on You'll find us everywhere you can find podcasts. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our handle is WYWHpodcast. Email us at WYWHpodcast at gmail.com and tell us whatever you think about us. And, of course, visit our website, wishyouwerherepodcast.com. Here is spelled H-E-A-R for links to each episode and much more. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you.